Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And we are live from a whale's vagina. What? <laughs> Tim, what? come on, man. No, I, I don't know this reference. I'm, I feel like I've uh, missed something. Oh. Mike, Mike, come on, school him, school him. You needed him. to say San Diego and maybe. San Diego. <laughs> but I want to be, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? You know, I want to I want to get everybody going, right? I want to be provocative. So I was provocative and uh, I referred to a different line from Anchorman. Tim, you've never seen Anchorman. I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't. You. Wow. This podcast pairing is done. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard anybody say they haven't seen Anchorman. <laughs> Tim is, there's another thing about Tim, too. I'm not going to get into it now. You have to stay tuned for this one. This is a medical slash health related thing about the Cal Ripken of streaks for something. <laughs> and we'll get into that. Oh, someday we'll pull that up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later on. We, we can't do that in the first minute. But uh, we got Mike Umbro. Uh, Tim, you brought Mike to my attention. I've been following him on social media ever since. He is indeed in San Diego. He has seen Anchorman. But why don't you kind of set the stage a little bit for Mike? And and then, Mike, we can introduce you to the audience. Yeah, I was just kind of like you. I mean, I found him on social media on LinkedIn. There was a video. And I think maybe David Ranson Wood might have uh, liked it or commented on the video and so I hopped on and watched it, and and then suddenly Mike Umbro was filling my my LinkedIn screen. So I followed him, and we got to chatting a little bit. And it was really just a lot of conversations about energy in California and really, I mean, at, at some points, really pointing out the intellectual dishonesty, I guess is not the, maybe that's not too strong of a word, but the, you know, the problems with the the politics of energy in California and really the problems that that kind of presents. So anyway, so I started following Mike and, and I guess hmm. I, I'm going to put words in your mouth, Mike, but you kind of blew up after that first video, you know, the one we were standing on it, the hill in our lease. Yeah. That's out at our lease actually. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I just kind of thought, well, I obviously I saw a lot of DRW's posts, other people that are kind of active. I'm like, well, I'm an expert out here in California. I might as well share what I'm seeing because it's pretty crazy. So I'm mm. just going to start putting stuff out there and um, see where it goes. And and I guess people have started to like it. And so that's, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll dig into all that and, and what you're doing sort of professionally, but, but want to understand a little bit you about you um, as a, a human with a name like Mike Umbro, you must've played soccer and high school, right? I did. I grew up playing soccer and I'm, I'm six, five, so I should have been a goalie, but I was not. <laughs> so, nice. uh, but yeah, I grew up playing soccer my whole life and, and it's definitely a, a San Diego and SoCal sport. So, um, soccer and then, and then later beach volleyball were my, were my two athletic passions. So you, Man, wore, I, you wore, I, in your, in you your videos, you need to get someone on the screen with you because I watching your videos had no idea you're six five. I know, right? Yeah, people <laughs> reference. Yeah, when, <laughs> we go, when we go from Zoom to real life, people are like, oh wow, I didn't no idea you were this tall. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> that's really what bad. happens when you meet people. <laughs> that is so. That's but so yeah, I did. I did grow up wearing a lot of Umbro clothing. Um, although that, so that brand was started by two brothers in England 
that okay. had the last name of Humphrey and they took the UM out of Humphrey oh. and the bro out of brothers. And, you know, my name's just a Southern Italian name from my dad's side. But um, so there's no relation. I, I wow. like it, man. I like yeah. it. That's that's good to know. Yeah. For whatever reason, at least in the God, what was it? 1990s when I went to summer camp. Everyone had umbros. Right. Those were the short, the shorts, man. Soccer, no, it was umbros. Totally, totally. I remember those days. I miss them, but uh, I still have some vintage umbro clothing I bust out. Do they so. still make them? They still sell it at Target and stuff. My mom will buy it for my nephews and our kids and <laughs> have them running around in the, in the track suits. Yeah, for sure. But they, uh, they, they bring the brands back that were cool when when we were growing up. I know you and I are kind of the the same generation. I guess you'd be more of a firmly a millennial where I'm on the border of, of Gen X and, and millennial. So um, t- tell me a little bit growing up in California, um, Pepperdine. Oh, we're, we're going to talk about Pepperdine. What a beautiful campus. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wh- how'd you get to where you are? I mean, cause you took a non-traditional route. I think everyone we right. talk to seems to do that. A non-traditional route to get into this industry. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did my undergrad at Pepperdine. I studied economics, born and raised in San Diego had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, one of my first jobs w- was with uh, Morgan Stanley. Didn't want to be a financial advisor. I went to a buy side mm-hmm. mergers and acquisitions firm in 2006 timeframe. And um, the managing director was trying to raise $800 million to uh, finance an upstream MLP. So he had this management team out of Houston that was a a great team. And my job from La Jolla, California, was to cold call independents and and producers asking if we could buy production. And I had no idea any of the lingo. I just picked it up on the fly and just kind of figured it out, sourcing acquisitions. And and that's really how I, I love the nature of the industry. I loved you know, well, anything's for sale at the right price. It was never a hang up, you know, it was kind of a nice cold call. <laughs> so I mean, uh, so actually, that's kind of how it started. That's amazing. Like I, I think in a lot of industries that you could cross over and step in and do some sort of generic sale and be okay. What must've been crazy for you and everybody goes through this is the acronyms, right? Everything's an acronym and it all stands for different things. Totally. So totally. one thing's LOS in the field, one thing's LOS in financial. You're like, what? I don't understand. What, what right. the hell is going on? Oh, oh, and yeah. words that mean completely different things. things. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd be Googling like PDP on the phone. Sure. Like, what are all these things? And <laughs> just kind of <laughs> kept them on the line long enough for they for them to say, yeah, you know, we'll talk. You know, let's keep <laughs> it going. And, I, I you know, I kind of picked it up pretty quickly. Um, and, and, and I sourced all these acquisition targets and the financial crisis hit our director didn't raise any money. And I'm like, why the hell am I cold calling people all day for, you know, no money, just a bonus promise. I'll just do this from my living room. And that's, so I started yeah. Fieldview Capital in 2008, early 2008 in the crisis. I'm like, well, now's the time. No one's hiring anyway. I might as well figure it out. So. Brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, it's, that's how I fell into the industry and been with it ever since. So, uh, you've got your fingers into a number of different things. So now you've got on your LinkedIn profile, you've got mm-hmm. premier resource management. Um, yep. And I guess that's an operating company. Yeah. So I have two partners there. Uh, one's a f- uh, former Chevron thermal EOR guru um, built, built uh, you know, the thermal enhanced oil recovery division out at Kern river for Chevron. 
worked his way up to corporate reserves advisor. And um, so he's, he's our CEO, reservoir engineer. Uh, and a, and an, our other partner, Lonnie, is a petroleum engineer, worked at all the California independents, Barry, uh, Freeport McMoran for a time, uh, Santa Fe Energy. Um, so they're Bakersfield guys and, and know the landscape. And uh, they brought me in in 2017 originally to help them raise money. And I said, hey, you can you can pay me or cut me in on the deal and, and I'll join you. And, and that's what we did. So um, we raised money for a lease that we have out in uh, the Antelope Hills in California, which is uh, north of Bell Ridge, south of Lost Hills. Those are two of uh, the top 10 fields in the state. We might have to go through a little geography lesson for right. those who aren't paying attention. But So Jeremy, do you remember when, when you were working for me and we were taking our little run through California and I took you down just outside the airport there in Bakersfield to show you what the Kern River field was? Tim, when I was working for you, it was a really dark time. So I tried to block, <laughs> block most of the memories. No, that was a, that was awesome, actually. That was a real eye-opening experience because we had to go out to Taft from Bakersfield, right? So yeah. you have your typical stuff in Bakersfield, and I had no idea what I was about to see with just a sheer mass number of wells and how close they, closely they were, you know, small wells, but closely stacked on top of each other. I mean, you got little pump jacks and big pump jacks and, and pipes running across the ground with U's in them. And yeah. it, it, the Kern River field, I like to take people on that tour, take them through the Kern River field. And in my mind, this is what Californians think every oil field looks like. Right. It's, it's like a graveyard. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people outside the industry think that too, because everybody that wants to paint this scary image of the industry will show a picture of Kern River or Bell Ridge <laughs> and, and uh, all the environmental type propaganda will always show that. Is there like um, horizontal drilling? Is there fracking and horizontal drilling in California? A lot of horizontal drilling. Fracking is more, uh, it's kind of like a high pressure steam frack in right. what's called the diatomite. Um, and most of those jobs are she uh, Chevron and Arrow, which is a JV between Shell and Exxon. So they kind of do most of the fracking, but it, it accounts for less than 15% of the product, 10, 15% of the production in the state. So very small. And the fracking they're doing is nowhere. It's, it's almost for different reasons than why we're fracking in, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. everywhere else. And there was some experimentations of fracking into the, I think it was the Monterey shale, which is very, very deep in the San Joaquin Valley. Yeah. And it just mm -hmm. never worked out. So they did some experiments, but it just didn't happen. Right. But, so I want to juxtapose Bakersfield. It's in the San, heart of the San Joaquin Valley. You've got the Kern River field. you got Midway Sunset, Bell Ridge, Lost Hills. These are all massive developments, high well counts, really heavy oil. Mm-hmm. And you go to school in Pepperdine. That is, <laughs> this is what I don't know, how, but 150 miles apart or something like that. Right. And if that the the difference in the locales has got to, it's one of the most stunning differences. You, you can't be. It's like I can't believe it's in the same state. Right. Yeah. It might as well be a different state or country for that country. Matter, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, different part of the yeah. world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I drive so and and Pepperdine was beautiful. Obviously, you're in Malibu. You're by the beach. It's you know you're sitting there having lunch next to movie stars on a regular basis. It's kind of weird. Um, but then you got Bakersfield, which also has a lot of star power. You got Buck Owens, Merle Haggard, the Bakersfield sound, and all that. So great street um, names. Yeah, great street <laughs> names out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but yeah, California is a, a trippy place. I mean, I, I travel pretty much weekly from San Diego to Bakersfield, right up the five, uh, 220 miles, whatever it is. But it, I get a rush going over the grapevine, you know, North of LA, it's a 4,000 foot peak and you, you go up and over and I, I just feel like I'm going into, you know, the part of the state where people work, you know, mm. where you've got blue collars and, That's funny. and, and people, you know, it's just a different energy and it's, it's a really fun place to be. And that's, that's one of my favorite drives. Once you, you, you go up into the, the hills right there above LA and out and past San Fernando Valley on the five, and then you, that, that whole thing is just really cool. And then you come down the hills like, okay, I'm now in the oil field. Right. Or the almond orchard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in the Northern part of the state. My God. Yeah. Um, some, some boring drives up there, but a beautiful drive. Um, is is going past Pepperdine. I, I remember driving past that the first time I ever drove past it. I think I, I was hanging out with a friend in Santa Monica. And uh, whatever time of day it was, traffic wasn't a huge concern or it was as much of a concern as always. And I just wasn't in a rush. Either way, it didn't factor in. So I'm like, I want to drive on Route 1, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to go along the Pacific Coast Highway. So I'm driving along and you go up and then you start going up a hill. Cause I was going to like thousand Oaks area. Mm-hmm. So going through the back way and, yep. and then you go past Pepperdine and, and it is just, I mean, the views of the ocean mm-hmm. and that hill that they have out. In front, I, I had no idea. And then I saw that. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you study there, Mike? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, wow. it was hard. My freshman dorm room had an ocean view. No joke. Oh, my I freshman, it. it overlooked the, the soccer field the baseball field and then the ocean. And it was, it was just, I have no idea how I got hooked up with that, but it was sweet. Great but then I, I really didn't get along with my first roommate. So I ended up moving out. I'm like, this view is not worth it. This guy's annoying. No. So I, I moved out at the semester. And, wow. uh, but, but I mean, still everywhere you walk, it was just, yeah. Epic. Well, you mentioned that Hill, Jeremy. So I, and I, we went out when I was 22, we went out to go to a football game out there and we just were, took that same drive you did. Just want to drive the PCH, see the see the sights, and we saw Pepperdine, and we just drove onto the campus. It was summer, and uh, we asked the security guards if we could roll down that hill. So there were four Aggies. <laughs> we just traipsed up the hill roll and down just, the hill. just rolled down the hill. I don't, I don't I don't know what it looked like to people who were trying to actually study or lay on their blankets on the hill or whatever, but freaking Aggies, man. Can we, can we roll down the damn hill? And then a year later, they're freaking making millions of dollars. What the hell? They're running oil companies and rolling yeah. down the damn hill. Tim, speaking of which we're going to do, we're going to break some news in the middle of the podcast right here. I'm ready. Go. Oh, nice. I know that you're excited to come up here. We're going together to the CU buffs and that is the plan. Uh, A&M game, right? September yeah. 11th in Denver. So, that's right. Punk Futures Golf Invitational, first annual, nice. looking like September 9th, location TBD, oh, stay tuned. Now, now we could get something happening. 10th, we do a luncheon, right? We do a state of the energy technology union on the Friday. So if you want to come golf, stay great, or however you want to do it. But I'll make it very comfortable for any Texas A&M person, anyone who wants to play golf and oil and gas and, uh, you know. We'll have a, we should have a uh, friends of tripping over the barrel party as well. There you go. Who's paying for that though? The friends, the friends. (laughs) 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 Most likely, but Mike, we'd, we'd love to have you out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
I figure I can, everybody wants to get together and, and uh, who doesn't want to play golf and who doesn't want to come to Colorado. So there we go. All right, so we've beaten around the bush long enough. Let's talk California let's and go. energy policy. All right, let's go. So you started, Mike, your first post that I saw anyway was yeah. the video of you standing out there talking kind of the hypocrisy of we have all this oil here and we're importing X amount from all these other places. Why don't we produce it here? Mm-hmm. And then today in my research, I ran across, your, I think, your most recent video talking mm-hmm. about the uh, pollution in Ecuador and how much right. oil. This was baffling to me, the statistics. I didn't even know. How, what percentage of the oil produced in Ecuador comes to California? So 70, and I didn't know this until I was researching, 70% of Ecuador's produced oil from the Amazon goes to California, which is mind-blowing. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. One more time. 70% of Ecuador's oil production goes to California. Well, that, whoa, whoa, that, okay. So I just f- don't fundamentally understand that when I know how much oil is in California. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Kern, there you Kern, go. Kern County has, I want to say, 1.6 billion barrels of proved reserves. It falls just below Colorado. If it was its own state, it'd be number seven. As a county, Kern County has tons of oil. Um, and they so where's don't, it going? Where's it going? Well, the, the one, they don't want us to produce mm-hmm. it flat out. That flat out, the governor, Governor Newsom has said, we want to phase out oil and gas in California. He will publicly say that. As he? and Exactly. And he will not say we should first, in my mind, if I'm running policy, I'd say first stop the imports because that is what's coming here on a tanker ship. And that is polluting your port towns of Los Angeles, Long Beach, up north in Richmond. That's pushing, you know, socks and particulate matter into the local community and literally hurting people's lungs and health but rather not to mention not to mention rivers in ecuador right and rivers in ecuador which they don't clean up their their approach is we just let it flow through the through the coca river which goes which goes right through the middle of the most biodiverse rainforest in the world or one of the most biodiverse it just it makes no sense so a little bit of background They, they had a landslide in ecuador that ruptured two uh, major oil pipelines. Yep. And so then that, that 15, well, 15,000 barrels leaked. Right. Allegedly, the yeah, allegedly only 15,000 barrels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who's going to track that? I mean, yeah. this is, this is. So I just think of the, tra- I just want to make this point. The trade-off that we're consciously making, we in, I'm going to say we in California, but we in the United States, we have the, perhaps the cleanest production well, of the Americas. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And we're trading that off. We're going we're gonna to stop producing here or make it hard to produce here. And we're going to bring it in from other places, maybe countries that are hostile to the U.S. or have very lax uh, requirements. Exactly. Out of Which, sight, out of unfortunate. mind. Yeah. That's it. China. It, it's unfortunate. And, and there is a lot of virtue signaling, you know, kind of making the rounds in the, I guess, oil and gas community this past week was that whole thank you, North Face video right, by Liberty, right. which awesome. is, you know, and, and it, Chris, right. Like very professionally done, right. Like I learned something. I actually, I was thinking this the whole time. Cause I have such a marketing brain that he like really basically exposed their entire catalog to me. By the <laughs> end of that, I'm like, you know, there's some stuff there that I wouldn't mind actually, 
actually wearing, <laughs> but learned about where it come from and what the ingredients are. And it's like, oh, wow, that, this is thank you for right. that brief education because science should prevail. Exactly. Exactly. Over, over virtue signaling. It's really sad. And I, and I would take it a step further. I don't think it's virtue signaling. In California's case, I think it's a planned attempt to starve Kern County, which is a known Republican area, from money. I mean, that's, that's wow. plain and simple. It's, we want to shut you down because that shuts off the money. That's, but if you that's let them, my view. But if you let them poison the water sooner, they'll die faster, right. Right. and then you don't have to worry about it. Well, that's the other thing. So we're in a drought out here, but we're producing, what, 10 barrels of water for every barrel of oil. Sure. And, oh, by the way, it's pretty much fresh in Kern River, and it's pretty – even at our lease – it's a 10,000 part per million total dissolved solid in the Permian. You're probably talking 10 to 12 times that amount wow. of salt. So we actually have a, a produced that. water that you can clean up and use in ag. And we do. And it's proven to be safe and effective. But hmm. the government would never, the state government would never highlight that fact. You have to go search that out. Is there any flaring? In California? Very little. I mean, very little. It, only when you're kind of bringing on a new well in a limited time, there you, you're not going to see any flaring when you go to these fields. Yeah, and, and a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're not really pressured up anymore. They were, they've been producing since 1895. Um, so you're just, you're just producing, you know, long lived reserves. So are you, you, you've got a lease now in Antelope Hills. Mm -hmm. um, is this an active field that you're now producing from and, and, and maybe drilling new wells and, and bringing on or, or what's the yeah. status of that? Yeah. So we inherited, you know, eight legacy wells that are just, you know, kind of garbage. The last, the last operator out there was really a promoter, just kind of taking people's money. I had, Don no, King, I had the, no, you know, Don King of the oil and gas. Yeah. Industry. That whole stuff. Um, but we've got, like I said, a, a, a leadership team that is rock solid in California. Um, and we've got a target zone uh, with about a hundred million barrels in it to go after. Um, and another zone just below that with about 50 million barrels. We're through kind of our, our geology review. We'll be drilling uh, four wells here in the fourth quarter, and then we'll drill uh, probably five more in 2022 and do what's called a you know a pilot steam phase to show the response of the reservoir to steam injection. Uh, now, is this like some of these other? I mean, is it like the diatomite fields, or is it a? No, it's a, it's a, so no, it's not a diatomite. We will. There's no fracking necessary, but what we do need is a UIC permit to inject steam, which in California, you know, you're looking at one to two years, easy, easy to wait on that process. Um, so our target zone is about a 16 gravity crude, 15, 16 gravity crude. Um, that's going to require steam because otherwise you're, you know, you put it on production and you're making two barrels of oil. You know, okay. you get, you get, you get steam on that same well, you'll make a hundred. All right. Need to go do some uh, nomenclature definitions for, for those. I, I, think, uninitiated. I think I got it. I think I understand it, but I, I, and, but I'm not going to translate yet. I want to see if I'm right. Okay. So 15, 15, 16, well, let's it's say it's thick, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's thick. thick. It's tar. A, yeah. a 10, 10 gravity is, it's Flowing? almost solid, right? Okay. It's, it's, right. It, it doesn't float. It would right. sink in water. Um, so yeah. very dense, uh, very thick. 15, 16 is 
you can hold in your hand, yeah. you know, and, you know, Bubbly. that kind of thing. And then, of course, diatomite, by the way, just to get this out, that is uh, one of the ingredients of kitty litter. <laughs> there you go. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Tim taught me that too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But we, 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 do, we do have a zone below our target, 300 feet below, that is about a 24, 25 gravity crude. So we won't need steam. So our plan is to go in and, and do a few short horizontal wells there and, and hopefully make some wells, get some cash flow going while we wait on permits. Nice. So, so it's a, permitting. It's a Permitting, yeah, I was just gonna say, permitting a well, getting a lease, the whole process is is certainly a process here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that like in California? How much lead time do you need? Does it depend on uh, county and uh, drilling depth? Like, I'm just curious what the process looks like for you, who's right. you know actively kind of building out a, a drilling plan in California. Yeah, I you know for us, we're targeting specifically Kern County because it's a you know the best regulatory environment you can get to in California. You know, you don't want to be near the coast. You don't want to be in Santa Barbara County uh, trying to raise money or trying to get permits. It's just not going to happen at this point. Sacramento Uh, just doesn't have enough. It just won't let it happen. Yeah. They'll just bleed you to death. And even for us, we've been, we've been going at this since 2018 using the, the old wells to pull water samples to get, you know, salinity and and kind of what other constituents are in our in our aquifers um we've spent over a million bucks in three years just kind of cleaning up the lease we had 40 uh novs notice of violations from the last operator so we're actively cleaning this place up getting samples um you know really getting data to know what we have um and and we spent you know we spent seven hundred thousand of our own money before we even went out and raised money um, so it's, you got to wow. be committed to the long term. Um, yes. And then, but my view is once we're, once we're permitted, whenever that does happen, we're going to have a captive market because, you know, California consumes in normal years, um, you know, close to 500 million barrels a year. Um, wow. Only 40, 30 to 40% of that comes from California. So um, the rest is tankered in here from uh, predominantly Ecuador, Colombia, Saudi, and Iraq. Those are the, those are the four main. Would there be enough, would there be enough production just from what happens in California currently to fuel California? You need regional producers. You need like back in, back in the eighties and early nineties, it was the opposite. Basically Hmm. 80, 90% of the production came from Alaska, California, and some from Canada. So it can be done. Um, but they've spent, you know, 20 to 30 years really trying to limit local production and in yeah. favor of, you know, the demand hasn't dropped off. We consume more jet fuel and more gasoline than any other state. But somehow, wow. somehow we think it's a bright idea to tanker this stuff in uh, from all over the world rather than produce as much as we can locally. There is something to be said for, for uh, some level of global trade. If California oil is easy to capture and produce, and it's going to somewhere where they otherwise wouldn't be able to get oil, I can sort of see a balance with mm-hmm. this, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like you said, to have it come in via tanker is, and, and this is just one of those things where this isn't going to like change in your favor, right? No. Getting permits will continue to be harder. Um, 
But I know this, the population of the world is growing. Technological advancements are growing. And, and people are just basically in a, in a place where we take things for granted because we are in a fully developed country. Right. But if you go to a third world country, they need oil and gas. It's all they have. Literally, there's nothing else if they don't have that. Energy fuels their entire livelihood. So well, their, their entire economy is based on that. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting tip place and time. And I think in California, you're just a little bit ahead of everywhere else. And you see what's happening. And, and it becomes, um, I don't, just don't know why energy is political. We need energy. Like that's, right. it it's, it's a be. fundamental need. So I don't Exactly. Know. Exactly. And that was why I started posting things because we're the front lines. But I think that early in my career, I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to be the California guy going to meetings in Texas. <laughs> you know, they'll be like, who the hell is this guy? Get him out of here. We, you know, we don't even deal with California. But I realized we need everybody's help to battle this because engineers and people in our industry understand that we need it. And, and it's not, this transition is not happening at the pace they tell us it's going to happen. And out here, we're going to have, we're going to have $8 gasoline in the next five years. If, if we don't do something drastic, it's, it's sad. 14% tax, $8 gasoline. Mike Umbro folks, a walking ringing endorsement <laughs> for the state of California. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's got his stats. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So let, me, let me ask you, you know, growing up in California, what was the San Diego, I guess, uh, did you grow up in San Diego? Grew up in, born and raised in San Diego. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so what, if, see, Tim, if, if that happens, it just makes living anywhere else really hard. It is. I know. It's impossible. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? But San Diego is a little pocket of sanity, in my opinion, a little pocket of sanity for a big urban area in California. For you know, it, it's it, it a little bit more reasonable towards these things. But I want right. to understand from you, Mike. When and we had, well, we've had uh, a couple other people from California who had no idea what was going on. But what was your perception of? And yeah, I think you said you're 38 right. before the show. What was your perception growing up of the industry? And have you sensed it change, or is it pretty much what you remember when you were a kid? Um, I don't know if I even had a perception of the industry because nobody's in oil and gas here. Um, I mean, it was yeah. just kind of like, you don't, it's weird because you don't even think about it growing up. It's just like gasoline goes in the car and I don't know where it comes from and you just get in. And I think that's, that's the most people voting in California, that's kind of still the perception. Like, I don't know where this stuff comes from. I just know I need it. Uh, there's not, that's, that's literally, uh, where I grew up. Right. Now, I have a friend who lives in Thousand Oaks, California, I think is where she lives. And yeah, I'm not going to name her name. Good, good friend. Good friend if you don't even know where she lives. <laughs> well, she, she's not that great of a friend. I knew her when she lived in Boston. She's I don't just know not a great – she's not a good person. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I just have this one. Anyways, but she, she's a you know, very East Coast kind of attitude and all that. But it's funny how – She'll get out and post, you know, why did, why did gasoline go up 23 cents today? Hmm. You know, looking for, you know, some sort of an explanation and in second, one sentence later, you know, complaining about some environmental issues like, oh, okay, these things are opposed to each other. And, you know, if you want that fixed, it's going to drive the price of gasoline up higher. Right. Right. I mean, just last week, my mom was complaining about the prices at Costco. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, if she's complaining about the price at Costco, 
everything's getting more expensive and it all goes back to the price of oil and you know the availability of commodities and everybody's about to wake up to this and i think there's going to be a big yo-yo effect and and this whole transition stuff is going to come crashing down i mean i think it's it's big for big corporations to be obviously trying to make things better um but what they're telling us in the news media it's not possible and it's prohibitively expensive I agree and disagree. Uh, I think it's not simply turnkey. And we talk about this consistently on this podcast. But I would say your perspective in California is different than somewhere like here. If you have a massive rig that mm-hmm. that pumps out at eight, you know, well pad, and this well is just their, their initial production is absolutely massive, over a thousand barrels a day, and you have to flare... Mm-hmm. I see something as the energy transition where you take that the the gas pressure, right? And you're, then you're able to mine for cryptocurrency sure. or something or feed that in, in some way where it then adds right. some renewed value. That, that's the, to me, the energy transition is don't waste, right. reuse right. Right. more. Right, right. So it's more, so in that case, would it be fair to say it's more optimization than transition? Re- I, th- I almost view it as like renewability. Tim, what do you, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that, and I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to step in between the opinions here, but the transition is going to happen. I think eventually some pragmatism is going to step in and this thing's going to slow down and go at the, the correct pace. Um, I think, you know, I just, I'm reading about the number of cars this morning. I was reading about it. BMW is going to have 12 uh, electric vehicles in two years. And wow. Great. And I, you know, and I, I'm tell you what, I'm really enjoying the advertisers for the Ford lightning. <laughs> but I mean, if, if you just, if it's going as fast as these car companies are saying they're going to be, there's not enough grid power to be able to charge all these cars. Mm-hmm. So that has to come from somewhere. So I think there's going to be there some pragmatism go. that has to kind of sneak into this to, to, to work. And I think that's, what's going to happen. I mean, we, we saw the IEA report, IEA, yeah, IEA report that said, hey, in order to reach zero emissions by 2050, we have to stop all new exploration now. Right. Otherwise, yeah, it won't happen. Happening. And it's it just can't happen. happen. It's not practical. No, it's not. I don't understand why they don't tell people the truth, too, and just say, stop buying shit. Like, just stop buying stuff in general. You know, and it's very hard to do. Like, don't buy something for a day. You know, get your groceries, but then don't make any other purchases because it's all from China. It's all, you know, if it's energy transition, it's solar panels and all that made in China in the worst conditions possible. Yep. But I mean, we, we're just, we're consumers and it's like, yeah, we just have to stop buying stuff. Like just go outside and go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost like what's happened a little bit in, in energy has is it's been like what's ha- what happened in the rest of the world like 40, 50 years ago. Like, we should recycle. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, yo, like, good idea. You're seriously blowing natural gas out of this fire right there. Can we use that for something? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Let's, like, be less wasteful and uh, more efficient and more cost-effective. So, so I think, yes, that's what we should be telling people, in my opinion. And, Tim, I appreciate you coming in and giving that two cents. Do you have another question, right, before we, we sort of let you run? Um, I'm curious from, for somebody who lives in San Diego, but stays connected in oil and gas, how have you been able to do that the whole time? Cause you're truly out of market. Most of the people right. that come on this are typically Tim are, or were in 
a predominantly oil market to make their career. You've made a career from San Diego. How have you been able to do that? Yeah, you know, I've been I've been working from home for 12 years in this space. So I've just I've been on the road a lot. I it was just plane rides to Houston and Midland and Denver and uh driving to Bakersfield, but about 4 or 5 years ago I said, "Well, I got to I got to really focus a lot on Bakersfield." And I just started, you know, going up there every week and um nice. so the pandemic hit and you know, not a whole lot changed except people didn't expect to see me as much. I, I think it would have been different if I was 28 and the pandemic hit. I would have been just like, man, I might need to get into another space. But I was lucky enough to have the relationships, have, you know, the oil field development we're working on. And then I, I do some corporate development for an environmental uh, company doing uh, liquid waste processing called RL Environmental up in Bakersfield. Um, so I kind of, and then I, I was finishing up a, a an environmental uh, management degree in the in the you know last year of this so I was kind of already plugged in and hooked up with all my projects, um, but in normal times I'm I'm living on the road once a week uh, for sure at least for a night or two, getting out and 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 seeing people and and developing relationships. Good for you. Yeah, which yeah. is what I so love I about the industry. So, so COVID had nothing on you, huh? Well, it kind of, it was kind of nice. It was like, wow, it's kind of like a vacation. Like <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere. No one expects me to be anywhere. Like That's how I, I felt it, too. It was weird. Then, I was like, yeah. I felt exactly like that. And then my kids were like, daddy, wake up. I need you to get me some breakfast. Right. And also I have to go to school in 15 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. Now speaking of, of kids, I want to hit this we, in our pre-show. So Mike, you're getting ready to add to yours and you're, yep. You're going to be traveling to Houston next week, and you're two weeks out from due date. So two and a half, yeah, yeah. Two and a yeah. half weeks. You're you're in that. Uh, hey, uh, text me if you start He's feeling fine. bad, kind of thing. Right? This is their third. Tim. Yeah. This is their third. He's yeah, yeah. No, that third one, third one labor lasts Face, three hours, FaceTime, man. Face right. time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I told her, I'm like, man, you might have to have your mom or my mom stand in uh, at delivery if I'm not if I'm not back from my Houston trip. But it's it's. It's about as short as I can make it. I leave on Monday at noon and I get back Tuesday at uh, like five o'clock. So it's yeah. a one nighter. It's a, you know, if anybody's around Houston Monday night, uh, you know, I can grab dinner. Don't, don't worry. That'll be like three weeks in the past by the time. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I thought of that right when I said it. When the podcast <laughs> airs, number three might be here. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations Maybe. and uh, certainly best wishes. Uh, Mike, where can people find more information about uh, your company, Fieldview Capital, and and anything else you have going on social media and and so forth. I get. I mean, the LinkedIn is so easy. Hit me up on LinkedIn and send me a note. I love reaching out to people. And um, if anything, that's that's been my favorite part about posting things is I get so many messages outside of just likes. And and um, I'm the kind of guy that I love to meet people and see people. And so uh, Mike Umbro on LinkedIn or, uh, Fieldview is fvcap.com. Um, but it's really just, you know, a boring website. So, um, or my, you know, my cell phone, That's cap. I'll That's give cap. people my cell phone too. Is that okay? I mean, well, I don't know. Go. Go I mean, I mean, give me a Mike call. 858-342-9378. Eight, eight, you know, shoot me a text. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy going. So, uh, wait, one more time. One more time. 858-342-9378. Mike Umbro!